0: I was about 40 miles out flying from Alabama to Daytona Beach International Airport Airport identifier KDAB it was October 3rd 2017 a thunderstorm had just passed which left the skies with shades of beautiful grays and gold as the Sun was setting west behind me the view from the flight deck of my mighty BE-36 Beechcraft Bonanza aircraft was all too familiar to me, as I had spent a great deal of my flight training earning my wings in this airspace. When I contacted Tower, my heart started to race with excitement. Adrenaline kicked in! Was this finally happening? Was I getting closer to this chapter of my life? A chapter that made me grow into the woman and pilot that I am today? Becoming the eighth woman ever and the youngest woman to fly solo around the world in a single engine aircraft? It truly was an adventure of a lifetime. But as you can imagine, it wasn't all blue skies and tailwinds. It was a 90 day journey that was extended to 145 days due to mechanical issues and three major weather systems beyond the time frame there were enough moments and memories that some people experience in a lifetime moments where i had an itch to scratch Now I'm not talking about some bright idea, no. My head was literally itching, it was on fire. I had head lice. I discovered it after I landed in Darwin, Australia, and of course, I couldn't find treatment there because of its remote location. I had to hang in tight until I flew nine hours to Carnes, Australia. And the treatment that I found there was an all natural one with herbs and natural ingredients that just didn't work. I needed chemicals, something strong to wipe the head lice off all at once. I finally found prescription grade head lice medication in Hawaii. Yes, that exists. And it was just in time for the longest leg of the entire trip, the Pacific Ocean which was a 14 and a half hour flight. Again, this was one moment along the global flight that just really tested me. It was hard, it sucked. This, this journey, this was all finally coming to an end. Before I knew it, my wheels touched down on runway seven left As I taxied in, I could see the dream team waiting there with signs to welcome me home. I positioned the aircraft for parking and shut down the engine. Simultaneously, as the engine shut down, tears of joy and relief streamed down my face. I made it. I was home. I was finally done. After I completed my checklist, I jumped out of the aircraft, greeted the team, and kissed the ground beneath me. So many emotions were running through my mind that day. And then there it was. The question everyone eagerly asked me, what is next? This question haunted me. People saw me as this brave woman who conquered the world in a single-engine airplane, bringing aviation and STEM to children along the way. This was true, and the question was valid. So why did I feel so undone? Mentally, I felt overwhelmed, drained, and exhausted. I so badly wanted to respond that I needed time. Time to celebrate and process this big achievement. And most importantly, I needed to heal from some of the experiences that I had encountered that usually come from a trip of this caliber. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atlantic Aviation. Atlantic Aviation provides aircraft ground support in over 60 locations across the U.S. I am proud to be partnered with a company that puts their people first and values diversity and inclusion. Their vision and mission is evident through the various resource programs they support. Experience the Atlantic attitude today. Check out atlanticaviation.com to see all 60 plus locations and plan your next visit. Today's guest is Linda Berlin. Linda started her career writing and editing stories for major publications like the New York Times, InStyle Magazine, Business Week, and the San Francisco Chronicles. She worked as a flight attendant for two years before making the shift to flying to the U.S. regional airlines. Linda has experience with Part 91 Trans-Pacific Ferry Flying and is currently flying for a major airline in the United States. For the past 18 years, Linda has been a featured writer for the Aviation for Women magazine. Linda, welcome to the Aviate with Shasta podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. So, Linda, mental health, you are so brave to have this conversation with me. (laughs) Before we get into the topic around mental health, I have two personal questions for you. Sure. Number one, if we were to meet at a coffee shop for the first time, how would you introduce yourself? We pretty much wanted just to get to know you more on a personal level. Um, I would
1: say that I love to write and I read books and I read newspapers and I read magazines a lot. That That's a big passion of mine. And I would say my first passion would be music. So I am a pianist and I... Um, during COVID, it's been really tough because I've been performing in retirement um, homes and I haven't been able to do that. So I have this program ready to go. But, um, you know, with the resurgence of the Delta variant, um, I'm holding off a bit. um, But I have reached out to some retirement homes to resume performances. I'm vaccinated now. So I would say my piano and my writing um, really defines me. And my flying is a love that feeds, uh, another part of me that is very exciting. And I really enjoy my job. I'm lucky that I make a living flying professionally.
0: Amazing. Wow. That's, that's so incredible that you play the piano. Um, As I was reading about your career in aviation, I noticed how writing has been a big part of your life. Would you describe yourself as a pilot with a passion for writing or a writer with a passion for flying? What side of the spectrum do you fall on?
1: I definitely fall on that I'm a writer with a passion for flying. So definitely.
0: That's beautiful. You know, people in aviation are just very passionate people. And they're so in love with the industry. But it's, it's beautiful to see aviators have other interests and passions that, uh, you know, it's not just flying that defines them. They're, they have other interests outside of airplanes. Um, and I feel that way with cooking, too. I love to cook. That's just like my thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's great to see that you're someone who enjoys flying and do it for a living, but you have other interests, outside of it. That's great.
1: Yeah, it really keeps, um, it keeps me balanced. I feel balanced having other interests in my life. And, you know, the, the, Piano playing was started so early that I've just, I've, I've, you know, I started that when I was 10. So I've always had that. And then I've always had my writing. So those are two pillars for me. But when I learned how to fly, it was a goal that, um, really, you know, took my heart to new places. And so, um I do have to say that the flying is the third pillar and it has enabled me to have such a fulfilling life so I I do feel lucky that I you know jumped into it when I did
0: Wow okay so I understand how the topic around mental health in aviation is taboo but in addition to the physical and mental health standards necessary to fly do you believe that some of the taboo also comes from being embarrassed, guilty or ashamed, especially for women? Um, I think it's men and women
1: to be honest with you. I don't think uh women are more ashamed than men. Um, I think this I think mental health issues, you know, are not choosy with you know the people that are affected i do think that women are in the unique role of having children and there is a very significant you know proven thing that happens when you you know have a child where your thyroid hormone levels drop after that child is born and some women it can really trigger uh depression. And that's very significant and common occurrence. And if that woman happens to be a pilot um, that does make that particular phenomenon is unique to women. Men don't always have that. Although I think sleep deprivation, I have a brother-in-law that um, when his twin boys were born, Uh, had such sleep deprivation that he was uh, required to get on antidepressants. His um, doctor friend recommended it, and it helped him through that period. So men do go through it too, maybe through sleep deprivation after having a child. But women actually, I think, tend to go through it hormonally. So that is a unique thing to men and women. But when we're talking about anxiety, that's men and women. That's not yeah. just women. So.
0: Yeah. You know, I I I heard um someone <laughs> mention that women are just physically not able to fly as well as men because of, you know, our menstrual cycles and and just what we go through with the postpartum with children. Would you agree to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I know it's it's, it's I don't absurd. Buy it
1: one bit. Yeah. hundred I can no. agree. Yeah. <laughs> no. And you know, I mean, you okay, it can be inconvenient sometimes. I've had moments. You probably don't want to hear the, the stories, but and we we women help each other out. So, (laughs) you know, um, those things happen. Those things are real. You can be caught off guard, but, um, no, does that mean you can't fly an airplane? Absolutely not. You can
0: fly an airplane. No problem. (laughs) You know, I, I almost feel like it's, it's like we, we could do so much more because we're not only flying an airplane safely, um, And efficiently, but we're also, you know, managing the things that we just as women naturally go through. And I think that that's just very telling of what women are capable of, uh, to be able to do both of those things at once. Um, but no, I totally agree with you. Yes. Come on.
1: I agree with you. I mean, without getting into you know um, too much detail, I think women have a tremendous ability to multitask, yeah. and I think to be a good pilot. The- those multitasking skills are going to serve you really well. And so women do have a propensity for better multitasking skills. And maybe it's from motherhood, but, you know, I'm not a mother. And so, um, but I still have that ability. So it isn't just, you know, you, it's not just mothers that are good at it. I think women in general are, are very good multitaskers. Yeah. So th- that does play a role in them being successful as, as, as pilots.
0: I agree. You know, some of the the best flying that I've done with, with other people um, uh, have been with, with women who are mothers. And that's the one thing in aviation, it's very rare that you see women talk about that part of their life of like motherhood and what goes on at home. We're, um, we're, very good at just being professional and keeping it businesslike. Um, when we're out there working in the industry. But once, you know, I had flown with some of these women, I've thought, my gosh, like you're really one of the most talented pilots I've ever flown with. And in addition to you being such a great pilot, you're a mom and you you have this whole life back home. Like, you know, it, it just goes to show that we can have that, that ability to say, okay, home life is home life. I need to now get into the plane and fly professionally. Um, But there's just this dialogue out there that I keep hearing that women just, they can't, they can't separate the two and they can't fly because of these, these, um, these things that make us women.
1: I think, I think you're, you're right. I mean, maybe part of the challenge is that we limit ourselves And so it is, um, we might just be guilty of it, feeling that we aren't capable of leaving our child at home and going on trips. I mean, I came up through the regional ranks, and when you work at a regional, you are gone Um, a big chunk of time. And then when you upgrade to captain, like I did, I mean, I had a mattress on the floor in my apartment. I was there maybe two days a week. It's a hard lifestyle to, to, to raise a child as well. So you have to have a very solid partner and um, you have to want it really uh, a lot. I have a girlfriend that is working at a regional right now and she has a little one at home and she's very supported by her partner. So, you know, the everything has to be sort of lined up to make it work, but it can be done. It's just challenging.
0: Yeah. You know, I grew up in a household where uh, I originally come from Afghanistan. So in our house, we don't talk about, um, just the importance of like marriage in the sense of like the partner that you're going to, to be with, you have to really make sure that they're going to be compatible with you and there for you during these series of events in life, like having a child. And you know, we, we just, we never talked about those things. We never talked about sex. We never talked about marriage, none of that. It just, it's a dialogue that doesn't exist in some parts of the world, especially in the Middle East. And luckily I got married to an incredible person, but as I'm going through life with my husband, I'm I'm thinking, man, it's so important that whoever you decide to be with, whoever that partner is, they really, you know, it's great that the good times they're there, But you really have to think about when it gets tough, how is this going to pan out when there's another, when there's a child in the mix, how are we going to balance each other out and support each other in moments where we need it? Um, So that, that, I feel like those conversations, we just can never have enough of that, that importance of picking the right partner who's going to help you through it all. is just so critical.
1: I completely agree with you. That is a huge part of navigating life is choosing the right partner. And I think sometimes when you're young, it can be hard because sometimes you'll grow apart from your partner, right? You're growing up together and suddenly 10 years go by and you have different goals. So those things can happen too. And you have to give yourself a break if, if it's not working out. Um, But you know, certainly, um, yes, I agree with you. Making that decision, who is the right person? Who is going to grow in the same direction as me? That's, that's a big life question. That's a hard one. Yeah.
0: Um, there is a narrative out there that women can do it all as it relates to work life balance. Um, it's almost like it's an unspoken expectation. And to be truthful, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of trying to do it all, especially as a new mom. Do you think this expectation was brought upon women or do you think we kind of set it up for ourselves or both?
1: I think both. I do. I think both. Um, It's hard to point to where it exactly started, but I think society's expectation for women is rather high in that regard and i think our own expectations are high i'm very often that person being told by my partner you're doing too much why are you doing so much you don't have to do this much right so I'm told that and I don't even I don't have kids. I have 13 nieces and nephews. I have a big family, wow. but <laughs> and a 14th one on the way. Oh, wow. But um, but I am I am told that uh, that I do it to myself. But I also do think there is a societal
0: pressure as well. I do. Yeah. I don't think you can get away from that. That's so true. Um, and, and I've thought about it too, cause I find myself in these situations where I'm so overstretched and my husband does the same thing. He's like, why are you committing to everything? And I'm like, but you know, it just, it just happened, you know, but, um, and, and I also feel so guilty when I say no to, to, to things. Or if I take time to rest, I'm like, okay, 10 minutes, that's all I have. And then I need to go and cook and do this and do that. And it's just like, I, I'm really trying in this phase in my life to understand that guilt. Like, why do I feel guilty if I want to take a break or say no to something? Um, so it's something I'm trying to kind of figure out for myself. And I was just curious to hear what you had to say about that.
1: I think there's a real beauty to saying yes to things. I do. I have a friend that says yes, a girlfriend, to everything. And she'll sit on a nonprofit board. She'll, she's a big animal rights person. She will go out and, you know, hand out, um, you know, handouts at the college. She'll, but I also think, we have to take care of ourselves and so we can have all these causes and we can for me want to perform in retirement communities but not at the risk of you know getting a terrible (laughs) virus and or spreading a terrible virus so right we have to have our limits and we have to know how to work within those limits so I do think being self-aware of your tendencies makes a big difference, but I still think saying yes is a great thing because you're going to get a lot done in your life and it's very exciting. You're going to meet lots of people and have amazing experiences and not close yourself off. And that's beautiful, but it can be exhausting. (laughs) So...
0: There's that aspect. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Um, Have you ever watched the TV series Mad Men?
1: I have not. Okay. No, I'm not a big TV person, but I am aware of Mad Men. And I've flown with people that were really into that show.
0: So... I just love how transparent they are around some of the mental health issues during the 1960s and 70s, which was an era where women wore just the prettiest dresses, had their makeup, nails, hair done, dinner was on the table, and the husband would come home from the corporate job to their beautiful home and two children named Sally and Bobby. I mean, Really? Come on. I can barely cook dinner at the end of the day for my family, let alone look all dolled up. But Mad Men did a great job showing that that perfect lifestyle was just simply unattainable. It was stressful, superficial, and ultimately not healthy for the parents and children. Is this idea or notion of a perfect life disappearing with time, or is it still very much here today?
1: I think the perfect life um, is something maybe we're all in search of. I don't know that it's that kind of trope where it's, you know, this madman type, um, uh, you know, uh, experience. Yeah. But I do think we're all striving. And I think COVID. Has maybe we've woken up a bit um, because I do think there's some big shifts. I read a story the other day how they thought that COVID would really make it hard on relationships, that relationships would fail. I'm talking, you know, men and men, women and women, men and women relationships, like your personal relationships with your partner. And Um, they are saying no, that quite the studies that they just recently came out with. And I can't remember if it was an Oxford study or where the study was. It was published in the Wall Street Journal, but it was very interesting because it was no, actually people are stronger in their relationships than ever because of COVID. I thought that was very interesting and very encouraging because I think there's been a shift somehow. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what that shift is in personal relationships, but I'm feeling it in my own relationship. So it's been very interesting, very interesting times we're in scary times, but, um, I feel as if we're all being pushed to evolve somehow.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I don't know exactly what it could be, but for me, just the idea of losing family members due to the pandemic, has really realigned my time and my energy and my focus. Like now when I have a conversation with my mom and dad, it's not like, oh, "Okay, I got to go." It's like, "How are you doing? You know, what can I do for you?" It's just like you you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how this pandemic might or might not affect your family. And so I know for me, it's just kind of brought the human back into conversations cuz you you kind of understand that this pandemic is affecting a lot of people, especially the elderly, and you, you just don't know what's around the corner.
1: Yes, I agree one hundred percent. I, when I got vaccinated, my mom had been vaccinated by then, okay. and my sister was vaccinated, and those two are uh, probably my closest. You know, I mean, I have a lot of great. And I'm very close to all my family members, but those who travel the most um, like I do. And those were the two I saw. My mom came to uh, Seattle in um, April. My sister came to Seattle in May and we did this big camping trip. And I came back to Cody, my the where I live, uh, Cody, Wyoming, and it was Kurt's brother has four kids and they came for the 4th of July. It's all about family right now. And I hope it continues and I'm going to a big family reunion that was supposed to happen last July that got canceled and it is happening this July. So it's really, I think that's a really good shift.
0: I agree. It's one of the positive things that have come out of the pandemic, but it's, it's a really good thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely.
0: Um, Do you think social media is causing pressure on mental health? The idea of this picturesque, pretty, and kind of perfect life. I mean, are you feeling it Or, or do you think it's, it's out there in our society? The pressures?
1: I, you know, I think for young girls, um, like I said, I do a lot of reading and I've been very upset about um, the effects that social media have had on young girls, especially, um, and I think young boys too. Um, but this particular story that I read was about young girls that are cutting themselves. And that's a very tough, subject. I'm trying to understand it more. And I know some young girls that have done this in the past. They have gotten uh, they've gotten the proper um, medical help. And the two that I know are not doing that anymore and not managing their stress anymore. But I would venture a guess that it came Somewhat from social media, and I have been—you know—that issue has come out in stories that I've read about young girls feeling pressured, um, suicide rates being up for isolated young girls and isolated young boys, and so yeah, I do think there's there's an issue there. We have a big issue in this country with social media because many of these kids have grown up with it. You know, I have nieces and nephews that they social media has been, you know, in their life since they were young. So they've grown up with it. I did not grow up with it. So very different for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't grow up with it either, but I do find myself sometimes just after a very long day going on there and just thinking like, what am I not doing? Cause these moms and these pilots and these professionals you know, social media. It just seems like it, they have it all together, and I'm just like, I found myself kind of going down this rabbit hole of like, what am I doing wrong here? Because I, I at the end of the day, I'm exhausted, and I didn't even accomplish like one real thing in my my list of things to do. But uh, but then I, I have to remind myself, wait a minute, <laughs> this is social media. You really don't know what's going behind these pictures and captions, but. Um, I'm with you. I, you know, I personally am feeling the effects of it and I just, I'm so worried for the young generation, this generation coming into aviation because they're seeing that there are these really beautiful and and inspirational uh, content that's out there on social media, but it's not realistic or real. Like we don't all look like that at all times. Every flight is not so perfect, you know? it's just a really high standard to to live up to.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's such a big issue that you could do a podcast just on that issue. Um, So social media um, definitely has a a very large impact on young women uh, and men. So I I do think that that's that's an issue that we all need to be concerned with. I really do. I don't have the solutions. I know that in my own personal life, I just dipped in um, last May during COVID and love my Instagram. I'm really enjoying it. And I feel very connected to the community that I'm connecting with. And so I think it depends, not all social media is gonna fit for you. And I'm trying not to push myself into realms where I'm not comfortable. It's important to be comfortable. And if you're on a platform that you're not comfortable with, I would get rid of it and try another platform because there's multiple out there and some very supportive communities. And you wanna be around people that are supportive of you. You deserve that. We all do. Uh,
0: You know, you you said you don't know what the solution is, but I I think there is a solution with what you just said. Like filter out who you're following. If you're finding someone who doesn't bring you joy or inspiration or or makes you feel excited about something, you're in power. You just go up there on your phone and click on follow. Um, But I I had to do a cleanse too, because I, I thought, you know, it just, some of these, some of this information out there is just not being productive and doing a cleanse, a social media cleanse. And now I found that my Instagram, I'm enjoying it more because I, I've re i followed people that who align with like my values and my interest. So that, that I think that might be one solution there, a small one, but as you know, it, it will help just to kind of cleanse out the people you're following.
1: Absolutely. You have all the power in the world. And I think sometimes uh, young girls forget that and women forget that we, we just have to take it back. And so you're absolutely right. Unfollow the people that make you feel uncomfortable or that you just can't relate to. There's nothing wrong with that. And if they try to shame you, which I've had that happen, I just say, I'm trying, you know, to follow new people. Yeah. There's no no offense, and I wish you all the best.
0: Yeah. Oh, good. Th-
1: that was it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I actually had somebody try to shame me, and that's not appropriate. Yeah. So <laughs> I think taking it too seriously is a big mistake. Yeah. Think of it as entertainment. And limit the amount of time you spend at it because I do think you can go down a lot of rabbit holes and you're wasting precious time. There's so many good books to read, yeah. so many great hikes to take, yeah. so many wonderful flights to go on. Uh, don't waste your time yeah. with that. Spend a little bit of time on it, but that's it. Cut yourself off. Be disciplined.
0: I love that. I love, don't take it too serious. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so how I came across your name was by reading an article titled Mental Health and Flying, which you wrote in the Aviation for Women magazine uh, in the July-August 2019 edition. And Linda, I couldn't get enough of the article. I had such a sense of relief that in this day and age, people are talking about subjects like mental health especially in a publication that's for women. Bravo. Can you share with us a summary of the article for those who haven't had the opportunity to read it yet?
1: Sure. It's a story that was inspired by a friend at work who took his life. And we both got hired the same day and became friends. I didn't know him before. And, um, it's about navigating mental health while being a professional pilot. Uh, there is a military person in the story. There is a major airline pilot in the story. There is a regional pilot in the story. And um, so it was challenging to have people come forward and I did have one particular person that helped educate me about the process but it's essentially about f- facing and either you have depression or you have anxiety and um keeping your professional job intact but navigating it through proper approval, through the FAA, through special issuance. So like any other medical issue, if you, if you have a heart problem or diabetes, believe it or not, you can actually navigate that and come back to flying. Um, so the FAA has really shifted and they want pilots to come forward. It is not an easy process Uh, Especially because of mental health issues, it can be challenging and it depends. There's a lot of it depends in it, Uh, but that is essentially what I wanted to write about because I feel like my friend who died, it could have, you know, I always feel like it could have been avoided. I feel like suicide can be avoided.
0: Yeah.
1: So I don't think it's I think it's you know I I would like to have some protections from that.
0: Yeah, I'm so sorry about your friend. Wow.
1: Me too. It was awful. Yeah.
0: Because of the nature of the job, it is important for pilots and aviation professionals to be fit to fly, but sometimes life like a financial setback, death in the family, sickness, divorce, life happens. But these set of challenges can test us even more if you consider the long trips away from home, the jet lag, the being on the go that, life's, that pilots experience in their job. Are we still in the mindset of the 1960s and 70s, kind of going back to Mad Men and the illusion of the perfect life where society believes pilots are these superhumans immune to any issues related to mental health?
1: I don't think so. I think it's shifting. Now, it probably needed to shift many years ago, but I do think uh, like everything, it's evolving. And so I don't believe that. I believe we're moving forward and a lot of different airlines are coming up with these pilot peer programs where a pilot in distress dealing with any kind of family issue or just personal or could be a medical issue um, can call and get some guidance as to Either, you know, if they just need to let off steam or if they need advice on who to go to for counseling, um, they can get some advice on who to contact. And, And really, it's almost like a crisis hotline on a certain level. The FAA does not deem that a bad thing. They know life happens and that pilots are not immune from life happening. I mean, in the last 12 months, uh, the FAA has been somewhat flexible with our medicals, with with a lot of things, taking the oxygen masks out in the flight deck when one pilot leaves the flight deck. There's a lot of reasonable decisions that are being made based on this pandemic. So we are the beneficiaries, but we also have to reach out and get the help we need. So we can't be shy and that is a big hurdle. Yeah.
0: Do you, I don't know how um, much you know about the, the pilot peer hotline, um, but I'm just thinking if I were in a situation and I'm a woman and I'm gonna call into this hotline, I I almost wouldn't want to do it because they're going to know who I am. There are not that many women who work for, for a company. Is that a problem? Do you know if that's an issue, just women calling in just because they know they might be recognized or.
1: Okay. No, I I don't think it would be an issue. And whoever's on the other line is not privy to share that information. It is confidential. So that is not, uh, that is protected information, and that is part of the program. And every airline has its own program. Alpha represents a lot of different airlines. They have one program. So that's one particular program for a lot of different airlines, small and large, including, you know, Delta, um, United, right? A lot of the big players have ALPA. So that information is, is confidential. So if you're a woman or a man, doesn't matter. That information is not shared and those judgments uh, should not be made. So um, yeah, yeah, we're in a different era now. I I don't believe that sort of thing goes on, but maybe, maybe I'm being naive. I I don't, I
0: don't Mm -hmm. know. With your insights on the article that you wrote what would you say is the critical missing piece as it relates to mental health and aviation? What is that piece that, that's critical that we need to focus on to tackle this?
1: I think self-awareness. I mean, Edith Harvey, I talked to her for a long time. She helps HIMS, AMEs, write their reports and submit them to the FAA properly. That is a big challenge, right, is providing enough data uh, on a particular pilot that might be out for anxiety or depression and providing that information to the FAA in a way that the FAA can feel confident um, of issuing a special issuance. Eda said that even in her field, in the medical field, getting doctors to admit their own mental health issues is very difficult. It's something related to the profession itself. I've got this, I'm a pilot, I do checklists, I know how to work this out and it's all contained and you don't want to ask for outside help and so it is i would say the the key component is inside yourself recognizing that you've got an issue and one car- person in my story it he kicked it down the line he he thinks he had those issues for many many years and then it just Built up. And that I think is the problem with mental health issues. They don't go away, they just get worse and worse. And so, but you've got to be willing to take the steps to ground yourself and get yourself healthy. And that's a big challenge because you're walking away from, you know, you might be walking away forever from your career, but you probably aren't. So it's just being willing to take that risk for your own health. I think that's the key component. That's, that's the crux of it. That's the hardest part.
0: Wow. You know, I got, um, some advice very early on when I got into aviation is that when it comes to your medical, you're fine. You know, if you got real problems, you deal with it outside of your appointment, but when you go in there, you're fine. And it, it just took me back. It was like, wow, that's, that's the, that's the, the, uh, the feeling, you know, with, with medicals and the aviation community. Um, you know, that's the dialogue, that's the language around it. And, uh, there is, there is some room for improvement here because as you mentioned, just now that it doesn't go away. Uh these mental health issues, they just keep building. And you it's if it's something that could be easily addressed in the beginning, my gosh, that's, you know, that's great. But if we keep letting it just drag on for so many years, then it it gets to a point where people just can't handle it anymore. Um, and it just becomes that much more serious. Um, and the thing too, is that it's not just an employee or people problem. According to the National Alliance on Mental Health Illness, depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy $1 trillion each year and lost of productivity. This is huge. This is impacting companies too. And I'm just shocked that we're not doing as an industry more to address this issue. I, I do think um,
1: it's helpful to know that the FAA is not interested in your marriage counseling yes. or your, you know, maybe you're not getting along with a sibling or, you know, you're having trouble with your teenager and you need to go to a coach, a life coach. Uh, they're not interested in that sort of thing, they're interested in a diagnosis. If you get a diagnosis, that's different. So a lot of people don't realize that. So I do think there's this lack of knowledge out there. And that's another reason why I wanted to write this story, because I didn't know until I started researching it. Uh, how interested are they in, you know, you going to a life coach? They're not interested at all. They don't want to hear about that. It's really just a diagnosis. Yeah. And if it's a situational thing, that's different. And even pa- Paula Corrigan, she she's uh, women in aviation. She's the doctor that we can contact and get get advice from. She's a really good source for me with stories. Uh, she said, even some people that might, for instance, my brother-in-law with uh, the twins being born and him being sleep deprived and needing an antidepressant, he was only on an antidepressant for, I think it was like five months. And so he's not a pilot, but in his case, I use that as an example they He could easily get his medical back if he were yeah. a pilot. As soon as those, you know, twins are sleeping through the night, that's considered a, a, a situational yeah. issue. So yeah. that's where I think people don't always get that. They think it's so taboo that they don't even want um, to, you know, put dip their baby yeah. toe in. Does that make does. sense?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And ag- again, it's just that lack of knowledge and understanding that the FAA does have um, uh, like standards on on what they want to know as far as counseling or anything that you're seeking and kind of going in the direction of solutions. The FAA has approved for antidepressants that pilots can take, which I didn't even know that until I read your article.
1: Yes, that is right. And those antidepressants have enabled, uh, back then when I wrote this story, about a little over 1,200 professional pilots to resume work at their airlines. So yes, it it enables them to get the serotonin, it's like a, it's a, Complicated chemistry that goes on, but it's not addictive and it's not um, gonna, it's not a, 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 a it doesn't um, affect you. Uh, well, it basically, it's non addictive. And um, so it's helped these people get back to work. Now, if those medications don't work for you, then there's a different set of criteria. So it's, it can be a little bit challenging. I think if, if a medication can't help you, but a lot of people are also really helped by cognitive therapy. So there's that as well. So a combination very often is people are successful with.
0: God, what is cognitive therapy? If you don't mind elaborating.
1: I, uh, you know, I am not okay. an expert, but based on my story, I, the way I understand it is connecting what's in your thoughts with what's in your body and understanding your physical reactions to your thoughts. And so in a way, it's almost like harnessing those yeah. thoughts to help your physical reactions uh, calm down. And I would say with someone like that's anxious, that would be, uh, I mean, obviously talk to the experts. I am not a medical expert, so but cognitive therapy has been helpful for some of my sources that I've talked to for this story. Um, And sometimes it's just acknowledging that you've got an issue that has made all Mm -hmm. the difference. You know, one of my sources said, it's just talking about it.
0: Oh, it's very therapeutic.
1: That really helped. Yeah.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Admitting it. Very good. So. Wow. Um, what do, what is your favorite way to unwind after a long trip? Like what do you do to kind of help your mental health and just feel better after a long working week or a couple days?
1: I do a combination of things. I added something last year that's been really great. I am not always successful at doing it every day, but um, one thing I do every day is yoga. But the thing that I added was meditation. I was struggling during COVID because I worked during COVID. And the big stress for me as an airline pilot was where am I going to get stuck? Because back then, before you were vaccinated, if you got exposed from a flight attendant, you were stuck wherever they disclosed to you that you were stuck and you had to quarantine for two weeks. So I was having a hard time sleeping. And I admitted this to my sister and she said, you've got to start meditating. So I downloaded Insight Timer and it was very helpful. And it really, I've kept that going And I do that. I try to do it at the end of my yoga routine. But the other thing that I do is I exercise. I make sure I walk every day or mountain bike every day. I lift weights. Uh, When I'm on an overnight, I try to go out wherever I am if it's safe and walk. So I am a big proponent of getting in your body I do a lot of stuff with reading, writing, music. So I'm in my mind a lot in my head, but I think being in your body is really important for your mental health,
0: yeah. and you just you have to make the time. That's the biggest thing for us women is pencil it in or you know, every day, even if it's for just five minutes, ten minutes, whatever you can afford to give. You have to make the time for yourself and do that one thing that just helps reset you, change your mood.
1: That's right. The other thing I do, though, that I think is very critical, and I think people are tapping that more, especially in this past year, is I eat Very well. I focus on my diet. I do not eat the food they serve me on the airplane. I bring my own food. It takes a lot of work, it's a lot of effort. I'm a member of a a farming co op. I buy a lot of really fresh organic produce. I do a lot of cooking and I eat really well. I start the day really well with a veggie smoothie, no fruit in it. And I just Feel better, and when I eat not so well, I feel yeah. it immediately, and it can affect your mood, and it can affect your stomach, and it can have long term effects. So, how you eat is also yeah. really
0: critical. Agreed completely. Um, more on the solutions. So, Delta Airlines has announced that the airlines, which is the first ever, um, to have its first chief health officer. Is this a major step in the right direction, do you think? You
1: know, I don't know about that program. I'm happy to hear that. I I don't know enough about that um, new development.
0: Yeah. yeah, so the airlines announced um, that part of the C-suite, they're now gonna have a, a health officer um, who's going to serve um, Especially with like the decision making, if it's going to be a healthy fit for the customers and for the employees, and we just, I mean, we've never seen that in aviation. And when I read the news, I thought, "Wow, this is this is really, in my opinion, a step in the right direction." We're we're bringing the conversation of health, you know, even on an an executive level here for for this airline. Um, So I, I got really excited about that. Yeah,
1: I would. I will definitely be looking around for stories about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. So that's that's very good news.
0: Very good. Well, we'll wrap it up. And I just have one final question for you that I ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received as a woman in aviation?
1: That is a good Take question you've really stumped me. Um, I've gotten a lot. I've really, I've gotten a lot of great advice over the years. Um, I would have to think about that. And I don't, I don't want to put you off, but, um, no, no worries. To be really honest, like I'm trying to think back because really that would be, you know, many years ago, I've been in a pilot for so long, um,
0: Yeah. Or just advice that you have that you think is important for women in aviation to to take or to have.
1: I guess if I were giving advice out, I would say that the powerful thing about being a commercial airline pilot at a union protected job is that you have pay equity and Everyone focuses on sexual harassment as being the big issue that women have to cope with. And I would say as you progress during your career, I think that sexual harassment tends to happen at the beginning of your career, and it is not okay. But I would say as you progress with your career, the bigger, maybe more, effective thing with your career is going to be pay equity. And if you're at a union job, you know at five years at an airline, what you're going to get paid. And so hunting for those kinds of jobs where it's not based on merit and upgrade is not based on merit. It's based on seniority. And then When you're seven years at a job in the left seat as a captain, you have exactly the same pay as the guy does. That's a big deal for women. Women in many jobs that don't have union protections uh, make much less than men. And so to me, sexual harassment is a part of it. Yes, and it's not okay that this happens to a lot of women when they're in the beginning of their career and how do you navigate it because you want to thrive in your career. But I would say that pay equity is a very big deal. And many of these airlines do a really good job with that. So that's not really advice, but I think, you know, I mean, I mean, if I were to say advice, I would say, don't, Let um, your failures make you feel like you can't keep going because everyone around you has failed and it's your failures that make you who you are. And it's what you do with that failure that um, really molds you. If you've not had any failures, you haven't been tested. So remember that if you fail at something, you fail at a job interview, you fail at a truck ride, remember, it's what you do afterwards that's critical. And if you can thrive under duress, that's everything. And if you want a job at the airlines or in corporate, they want to see that out of you. So my advice would be to thrive with your failures, embrace them and move on.
0: I love it. (laughs) Linda, it's been a pleasure having this conversation around mental health and aviation with you. Thank you for your time, your insights. Keep up the important writing and work that you're doing. And we appreciate you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. you. You have a great day.